Tigarun ke imis tusuton ehontes perikimenon imin nefos marturon, okon opothemeni panta ketin et farisaten amartian diupomenis trechon, ton prochimenon imin agona, aforontes intontis pisteos archigon ketelioton, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The reading of the word from Hebrews 1, 5 through 14. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And in the beginning, Lord, you founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. Like a cloak, you will roll them up and like clothing they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will never end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels spirits in the divine service sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter one, it's, it's fascinating. It's all this talk about angels. And so, to kind of figure out what angels are like, I went to Mardell's this week just to look at the art and see what angels are like. And I, I found some fascinating things. Angels ride on the backs of motorcycles to help keep motorcyclists safe. The one in particular wasn't wearing his helmet. He needed an angel on the back of his. See, the park didn't think that was funny either. They kind of groaned like I was... Helmets save lives, y'all. That's just the way it is. Um, an, an angel catches your child as they go down the bumpy slide at the park. But angels are also cute little cherubs that have arrows that help us fall in love. That's what angels are. Until you talk about a story of angels. Not, not art, but, but people who have felt the undeniable presence or of something that saved them or warned them off. Okay. But by far in Scripture, by far in Scripture, the most consistent reaction to supernatural beings is terror. In fact, the most common line that an angel says, first off, is, do not be afraid. And I say that because I want this text to have a hearing. And I'm aware that there's some distance between our, our now and the first century. I think we played that trailer for the series on accident today twice. But we had this long discussion about staff uh, this week if, if, that, if that bumper is just simply too confusing. Now, my argument is, is that Highland is smart enough to get it. It just may take us a while because... 
I'm smart enough to get it. It just takes me a while. So lean into that bumper and try to figure out what's going on. But we're, we're making a point here. We're trying to draw a line between what happened in the first century that, that the author of Hebrews, the preacher in Hebrews, is trying to communicate and what's happening to us now. I think there's a, a line that connects us from the world of Scripture to the world of today. It's fascinating because in this section of Hebrews... The preacher quotes the Old Testament more than they use their own words. Seven times they're going to quote Scripture. And they're, they're trying to, to prove a point. She strings them all together to make one point. God never called an angel a son. God never called an angel a son. And when the sun arrives, his throne will be forever and ever. And what angel has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Just wait till I conquer your enemies and make them a place of rest for you. Angels in Scripture and angels now are impressive. And most of the people that I interact with that claim to have an experience of an angel are incredibly hesitant to tell that story. It's not because they're ashamed. It's not because it seems unbelievable. They're hesitant to tell that story because it's holy. But here's the thing. The preacher isn't really talking about angels. He's talking about the law. Because see, on one element, you could make the argument that the reason why he's trying to, to argue that angels are less than the sun is because Jesus was a human being. Jesus was flesh. And, and in the first century, everyone knows that things that are flesh are less than supernatural and spiritual things. And so he's trying to say, well, actually, no, Jesus is more than that. And he's right. Jesus is God. Fully human and fully God. Jesus is, is complete in every way, but that's really not what he's trying to get at. What she's trying to say is that Jesus is greater than the law. The people he's writing to are, are baptized, believing, committed followers of Christ, and they may have come out of Judaism, uh, or they're God-fearing con uh, converts, Gentiles. Uh, the preacher assumes that they understand Scripture enough to quote this Old Testament in rapid fire. But there's this extra-biblical tradition that existed in the first century that told the story that when Moses went up onto the mountain to receive the law, it were angels that gave it to him. And so there's this sense in, in, in the world that the preacher is writing to that angels are the source of God's law. Angels have this exalted place that makes them winds and flames of fire, but they worship the sun. It's not the other way around. The sun, who is called king and God, will sit on a throne and will provide real justice, real righteousness, and he was a sovereign that will reign rightly. And this is a huge theme in Scripture that while evil things and, and, and wicked people flourish God longs for the world to be right. The angels and the law, they're not able to do that. But the anointed king, the son, 
The son can do that. It was early this week, uh, earlier this week when we were having breakfast together, my family, and uh, it, was, it was one of those sweet moments that you have when you have young kids, and my, my four-year-old turned to me and he said, Dad, you're preaching. And for a moment, I just kind of had this fantasy in my head, right? Like I was going to finish that sentence for him. Dad, your preaching is incredible. Dad, your preaching opened the world of Scripture to me that I will carry with me the rest of my life in faith. Dad, your preaching, my four-year-old son said, is boring. <laughs> Tell more stories. My son is honest. So I want to give you a couple of stories. I don't know if you've ever gone to a Brazilian steakhouse. Uh, my favorite one is called uh, Fogo de Chao. Anybody ever been there? Okay, if you've never gone to a Brazilian steakhouse, it's basically all you can eat meat. And they have these uh, gauchos, these servers that walk around with sticks of meat. And you have this little marker on your table, and if you turn it up green, that means bring more meat. If you turn it up red, it means come by and offer meat, but be okay if we say no. But the first thing you do, and the first time I ever went there, I sat down with a friend of mine, it was for lunch, and, and they gave us a plate and they said, go check out the salad bar before we bring you meat. So we went over there and checked out the salad bar. It was the most amazing salad bar you have ever seen. Salads on top of salads, fancy cheeses I couldn't even pronounce, little, little uh, bread bites that had things on top of them, all sorts of pickles and olives, it was incredible. And so we got plates of salad and we sat down because we're trying to like be healthy, you know. And I finished my plate and I thought, there's some more fancy cheeses that I think I'd like to try. And so I get up and I, I go as if to head back to the salad bar and my friend grabs me by the arm and says, stop. If you don't leave today without experiencing meat sweats, you've failed. Maybe you've had that present that you were going to give to a friend or a loved person uh, at Christmas. And you get the perfect box. And you get the perfect wrapping paper. And you get the perfect ribbons and the perfect bows. You even put a little uh, glitter on top of it to make it absolutely perfect. You, you crease the wrapping paper. It is ideal. To the point where you kind of wonder, is this gift really worth all of that effort? Or like my son, when we had our, our second son, the, I didn't think of this, this was my wife's idea. She had our second son that was just born give a gift to our eldest son, which was brilliant because it just kind of greases the skids as that eldest son realizes I'm not the most important thing in the universe to mom anymore. And, and so we, we gave him this like kitchen set where he could cook and, and play. It was a play set, it was really cool. But at the same time, one of my coworkers in California uh, gave us this giant box it was one of those big cardboard boxes. It had an office chair in it. It was like this tall and this big around. And he said, just let your kids play with that. Three weeks later, guess which my son had played with more? Or maybe, maybe you bought an iPhone. I mean, I know this may also be true with other cell phone devices, but I've spent a long time in California, so that's kind of uh, anathema to me. But when you buy an iPhone, you hold it by the lid and you just lift it high. 
And this is the sound. It goes. And then you pull the cardboard out and it unfolds in three different ways and below is your iPhone. Oh. Do you remember that experience? I don't know what you did. I, I, I folded it all back up, put the lid back on, picked it back up. And I just kind of wondered at the engineering involved in that box. If you have ears to hear, let them hear. What the preacher is trying to say to this church that's struggling because some of them have fallen away, some of them have lost interest, some of them are, are maybe going back to their Jewish roots and they're not coming back to church anymore. What the preacher has to say is, don't go back. Israel had just crossed the Red Sea and were taking their first steps in faith with God when they began to complain. They were sick of it. They were tired of it. And they said, let's just go back to slavery in Egypt because at least there we had food. Don't go back. We're on this journey together. It's like a car trip that you may have experienced with your, your family where it's not 15 minutes before somebody else says, are we there yet? How much longer? I have to go to the bathroom. We're on this journey and it's not easy. The last six months for us have been a journey that isn't easy and we're mourning the things that we lost and we're mourning the people that we lost and we're mourning the, the rituals and the normalcy that we lost. And there might be that tendency or that desire just to say, forget it. I think most churches don't need to hear this word from this preacher in the same way. I haven't had many pastoral crisis conversations with, with parents that are terrified because their kids are going back to Judaism. But I think I need to tell you the truth. The temptation to just go back to an earlier time when things seemed easier is an incredible temptation. The temptation to get lost in a salad bar of issues and arguments and lose sight of the main course. To let your fascination about the things that are supposed to help, like spiritual practices, mystic stories, the Enneagram, or politics, to confuse the box with the present. Don't go back. But instead, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who began our faith and who's going to finish our faith. And we follow him, even outside of the city even if it's to a lonely hill, even if it's to a cross. The solution is to pay attention to Jesus, to see what Jesus is doing and then see what you can do to help. And so this week, I wanna challenge you to do one thing and it's gonna sound controversial at first, but I want you to hang with me. I want you to do one thing this week. This week, I want you to pray every night and I don't want you to ask God for anything. And I don't want you to thank God for anything. I want you to do a different kind of prayer. I want you to just, not just, I want you to pay attention. I want you to engage in quiet prayer. Don't ask God for things, don't thank God for things, just be present. 
and begin to examine your life. Begin to examine your day. Think about those moments where God spoke to you or where God moved, where you felt presence, where the Spirit prompted you to do something good, where your conscience kind of tinkled your mind to say, this isn't the best thing that I can do. Reflect on your day and imagine how God has moved and be aware. Because I think the problem that we have, nine times out of 10, is not this distant belief that angels are doing everything all the time and and muddling with our lives it's that we believe God doesn't do anything at all and so this week practice that prayer where you don't ask and you don't think you just allow yourself to be present to a God who loves you now my my inclination is and my suspicion is is that that's going to lead you to praise that that's going to lead you to gratitude and if that happens just just go with it but don't rush it Live in that moment of being present with the Son whom God set at the right hand who is merely waiting for the rest of the universe to be ordered back under his feet. But don't don't go back. God has brought us on a journey and I'm excited to see where he brings us. So let me send you this Sunday with these words from Scripture. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You, brothers and sisters, may you be filled with that spirit. May you be anointed with his peace and go in peace. 